The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. We begin with Wall Street kicking off a new trading month in the quarter, well, in the red, after stocks did something for the first time in seven months. No deal in D.C. as the House Democrats delay a key vote to push the bipartisan infrastructure bill over that finish line. This is President Biden signs a temporary uh, funding bill to avert a government shutdown until December. Got to watch out for that. Facebook also limping home after a rough session on Capitol Hill, where lawmakers accused the social network of using big tobacco tactics to exploit teens and kids and call it a Scar Joe settlement. Disney putting its latest legal headache to rest after some Avenger-level accusations, and it took more than a snap to fix this one. That's a nerd joke. It's Friday, October 1st, 2021. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday, if that's your thing. I'm Frank Collin in for Brian Sullivan. Kicking off your Friday morning with U.S. stock futures that are deep in the red to kick off a new month and a new quarter of trading. Right now, futures down about three quarters of a percent or more. We're seeing right now the Dow looking like at this point, we know this can all change, but at this point, looking like it's going to open up about 200 points lower at the open. Now, this after stocks ended September, really on a down note, the Dow sinking more than one and a half percent yesterday to cap off its worst month since October 2020 and the first negative quarterly performance in more than a year and not that much better for the Nasdaq and the S&P 500, both of them coming off their worst months since March of 2020. You're seeing the trends right here. And uh, in this case, the S&P snapping a seven-month win streak. This was also the Nasdaq's worst September performance in a decade. On a sector basis, 10 of the 11 S&P sectors, they were down in September with materials really leading the losses, a 7.4% slide. And all of this is the 10-year yield. It dips back below that 1.5% level right now, sitting at just about 1.491. So just a tick below 1.5. Obviously, those rising bond yields a factor in the NASDAQ having that really tough month. And then around the world, a rough session for Japan and overnight trading as we see some prime minister transition happening there. Also, some action in Europe. We're going to go over to Juliana Tattlebaum. She's standing by in our London newsroom with much more. Good morning, Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, after that weak September here in Europe, we started off the final quarter of the year in negative territory, red across the board, as you can see. But we have pared back the losses since the start of the session. The stock 600 opened and plunged immediately more than 1%. This morning, we saw very steep sell-offs in those cyclical parts of the market. Travel and leisure at one stage was down more than 2.5%. But investors came in, quickly bought the dip, and we've now seen some stabilization come through. So pretty broad 
broad-based, evenly spread losses coming through this morning. We've got a couple of key data points in focus. We got uh, PMIs for the Eurozone and the UK come through the final manufacturing ones for the month of September. The overall theme there, still fairly strong in terms of absolute level, but supply chain issues remain front and center. And then we also just got some fresh inflation data out of the Eurozone for September, 3.4% year-on-year inflation, up from 3% the month before. So inflation, supply chain issues remain front of mind for investors. Turning to the sectors, this is what the split looks like now, a couple of hours into the session. Uh, Nearly every sector is trading lower, with the exception of utilities out in front, up about 0.8%. So clearly a bit of a defensive tilt to trade this morning. On the downside, we uh, do have healthcare actually underperforming now, down 1.2%. Banks, though, have been the key underperformer throughout the morning. The sector down about 1.2%. But this, of course, comes after the recent outperformance of the banking sector as investors price in the prospect of higher rates in many parts of the world. Frank, back over to you. Juliana, yes, supply chain issues uh, impacting companies globally. Thank you for that report. Let's get to this morning's other top stories. The lovely and talented Bertha Coombs is here with that. Happy Friday, Bertha. Ah, happy Friday, Frank. Well, it's been a very busy night in our nation's capital, which is shaping up to be an even busier day today, starting with President Biden signing a bill that averts a government shutdown and funds the federal government, but only through December 3rd. The continuing resolution is merely a Band-Aid as uh, Congress debates either raising or suspending the debt ceiling ahead of a possible October default. Elsewhere on the Hill, President Biden's economic agenda facing a serious setback as both House and Senate Democrats continue to negotiate on those one trillion and three and a half trillion dollar infrastructure packages. The House failing to vote on the matter in an overnight session. But Speaker Nancy Pelosi says there will be a vote today and a rough day for Facebook after U.S. lawmakers on both sides of the aisle took time to grill the company's global head of safety over questions about Instagram's impact on the mental health of teens and the social media company's efforts to build more products that target children. I want to be clear that this research is not a bombshell. It's not causal research. It's in fact just Well, I beg to differ with you, Ms. Davis. Uh, this, this research is a bombshell. In fact, With this research, we found that more teen girls actually find Instagram helpful. Among the other accusations fired at Facebook is that it uses tactics similar to the tobacco industry when it comes to targeting minors. Facebook whistleblower is expected to testify before Congress next week as the investigation continues. Frank, meantime, TikTok is the one that's coming under fire as we've seen school district after school district talking about these new challenges. The latest is for kids to go up to a teacher and just slap them. Um, yeah, you know, a lot, of, a lot of concerns about social media and our kids, Bertha. Uh, thanks for that latest report. All right, turning our attention back over to the markets and one of the key stories in the past month. Well, of course, that's been the rise in Treasury yields. The 10-year slipping back below 1.5%, but it's still up about 20 basis points since the end of August. And notably, since the Fed signaled it could begin tapering this year and possibly raise rates next year. For much more on this, let's bring in Vishy Tirpator, Morgan Stanley Head of Fixed Income Research. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. So we're seeing, uh, as we just mentioned, bond yields rise about 20 basis points since uh, the start, uh, excuse me, the end of August. As we mentioned that um, there's an argument on the street, at least, that Treasury yields, they're kind of going up and they're increasingly being driven by technical factors as opposed to economic fundamentals. Do you agree or disagree with that? 
I think, all, as always, there are both uh, economic fundamental factors and technical factors that actually come into the picture. So uh, economically, from a we follow in Morgan Stanley something called a no-costing model, which is continuously real-time tracking of GDP. And that real-time tracking of GDP has ticked upwards. As we've seen the trough in the in the third quarter GDP. Um, that's a, a positive, uh, that's economic fundamentals. We continue to see inflation prints um, pretty continue to be robust, something that's been affirmed by the, the FOMC members uh, in the last meeting. And you add to that some of the other technical issues that the, that, that you could be, you could layer on top of that, mm-hmm. um, including, of course, uh, the, you know, the negotiations that are going on in D.C. and the outcome of that. All of these things come into play with, uh, with, into the interest rate markets. So that's how I would look at it. So, Vishy, we're uh, obviously entering the fourth quarter where historically, at least according to research from Ally, the S&P is going to have its best returns in the, in the quarter uh, of the year, excuse me, with November, the best month out of the entire year. How does that impact bond yields? So I think the, the, the in, in terms of the bond yields, our expectation is that we will end the year uh, at, you know, from where we are now to end the year at 1.8%. That's how it remains our base case. But that base case is contingent upon a the infrastructure package, uh, package passing. So if that doesn't work out and there's no incremental deficit that's get, get, that gets added, if, that, if you take that portion out, we think that it will probably be the 160 type of range. And you layer on top of that, um, if there is any significant setback in the equity markets, you could see yields come down in a shade, but not dramatically. As you can see, in the last few days, we've had we've seen a lot of action in the um, equity markets. When we have not in the normal correlation of um, you know um, a significant decline in equity prices, co- correlating with a, a substantial decline in yields, really hasn't come through. More or less, yields have held in at the around the 150 type levels. That suggests that the the momentum for yields is higher. And that, that is driven by a combination of inflation, combination of the growth that is inflecting upwards, and, of course, the withdrawal of the accommodation uh, now that the tapering um, is very much in price. All right, Morgan Stanley forecasting bond yields will reach 1.8%, but only if the infrastructure package passes. Very interesting stuff. Vishy Tirpator, thanks for being here. All right, when we come back, what's fueling the record amount of deal-making in 2021? An exclusive report coming up next. Plus, taking a closer look at specialty retail amid a lagging global supply chain and what's at stake for companies that make the holidays their sole source of annual revenue. And later, what's in store for Bed Bath & Beyond after losing nearly a third of its value in a single trading day? A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. According to a new report out from Refinitiv, worldwide deal-making in 2021 has already reached $4.3 trillion, that's with a T, that's already surpassed the all-time full-year record set back in 2015, and the third quarter also surpassed $1 trillion in deal-making for the fifth consecutive quarter. For more on what's behind this recent high merger volume, let's bring in Matt Toole, Director of Deals Intelligence at Refinitiv. Thanks for being here, Matt. Morning. So I got to ask you, $4.3 trillion a deal, record year, uh, also basically doubling. Is that a COVID comp? Is that pent-up demand, or is there some other catalyst for all these deals being made? Yeah, it's, it's a combination of, of so many different things. Certainly uh, some pent-up demand from, from COVID uh, over the last couple of quarters, but also uh, fantastic capital markets, very friendly credit markets, uh, strong stock prices, and I think a rising confidence in many boardrooms that you know deals can be done, and we've seen that with a record stretch of of deal making over the past five quarters. So tech's been about twenty one percent of those deals, then followed by financials. What does that say to you about the economy and where people are looking for value? Well, I mean, technology has always been a kind of a huge focus, both you know in the in the M and A market as well as well as the the equity and, and IPO market, and so. You know, we've seen, you know, kind of big tech deals. We've also seen tech adjacent deals. So healthcare companies buying technology. We've seen um, some some real big consolidation in semiconductors. So, you know, that's a, a key focus. It's in so much of the, the past five months have been has been reliant on technology, whether it be how we connect with each other, how we shop. Um, so that play is, is certainly there and growing. And that's the biggest share of technology M&A that we've had on record, even besting the tech boom in, in 2000. And financials is a really interesting one as well. You know, financial M&A has been really, you know, obviously muted since the financial crisis. But we've seen some very large big bank M&A in the U.S. Mm -hmm. We've seen fintech. Um, So there's a lot of innovation happening there. And, you know, I think some consolidation certainly happening, particularly in the U.S. banking sector. I just want to clarify when you say financials, uh, when we talk about mergers and deals, are we talking about maybe some of that action in the buy now, pay later space? Exactly what are we talking about there? It's a it's a combination of, of of banks. It's it includes some of that fintech fintech. So you know Afterpay and, and others, and then insurance as well. So it's a, it's a pretty broad group of, of, of a big bucket. But all the all the drivers within financials are seeing year over year gains uh, this year. Oddly enough, I know tech's obviously a bigger part of our life. Healthcare, of course, uh, entertainment. All those th- those are probably the big three things during the pandemic last year. And uh, it's pretty logical to think that you're going to see a lot of deals for that in this year. But the biggest deal actually this year was in metals and mining. Did that shock yeah. you at all? And, and why? Why did, why did that turn out to be the biggest deal? There's actually, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a trend as far as uh, some of the larger companies who are dual headed and share and they're listed on two different shares. They're actually consolidating their shares. So it's a little bit of an interesting transaction. It's not a true M&A transaction, but it is a very large corporate transaction. We've seen that over the last number of years particularly with Brexit, where companies listed in London and another domicile might choose to consolidate those shares. But, you know, certainly corporate finance activity is happening. Uh, we're seeing a lot of spinoffs as well. So on top of the true traditional mergers, we're seeing a lot of companies um, spinning off, as we saw with Universal, 
uh, and then also some some other big kind of corporate finance plays like we saw with BHP. Uh, one last question. Kansas City Southern, that deal is one of your top 10 biggest deals of the year. Are you surprised we haven't seen more deals in the supply chain space with the increased importance of it? Do you expect to see a lot more supply chain deals in 2022? It seems that, that that definitely will be the case. I mean, I think a lot of people post-COVID were looking at, um, you know, their supply chain and whether or not they should potentially, you know, make some consolidation there, bring some of their supply chain in, uh, in-house. And certainly in that, tra- that transportation, transportation infrastructure space, I uh, would expect to see much more, particularly coming out with m- what might be happening within, you know, within, within the infrastructure package uh, over, the, over the next couple of weeks or how a like, kind of public-private partnership might affect uh, the role of dealmaking. So it'll be a, definitely a space to watch. All right, great stuff, man. I'm going to start calling you M&A Matt. We appreciate you being here. Excellent. Have a good day. All right, still on deck, our Go Big or Go Home series finale. We got Harrington, Battis, Saperstein, Stockton. They all go head-to-head defending their top picks for the fourth quarter and Worldwide Exchange back right after this. Today's big number, $1.2 trillion. That's the total investment needed by 2030 in order to meet the goals set in the Paris Climate Change Agreement, according to an estimate by Morgan Stanley. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The impact of the supply chain congestion has really put a damper on U.S. importer inventories. But what about specialty retailers that really bank on the holidays as their sole source of revenue? CNBC's Lorianne LaRocco joins us now with more on import volumes. Uh, this is a lot of stuff to talk about here, Lorianne, <laughs> um, and how this ghoulish congestion has been no treat for Spencer Gifts, Spirit Halloween and the National Tree Company. Let's start off with Halloween. It's just around the corner. Um, you look at the volume of the shipments for Spirit Halloween. How have they been impacted by all this supply chain congestion? It's really, it's all, it's all delayed. And what's interesting is it's the high-priced items, the animatronics. And so when you look at the, the flow of trade, if you will, when you're looking at import genius, they're the ones that focus on the bills of lading, the receipts, if you will, for the containers. And you're seeing spikes in September. And we're talking like triple the volume. You should never, ever see that type of item coming in. And in fact, they just had a, a, a container come in just a few days ago on September 24th with animatronics out of the port of Long Beach. And heaven knows if it's actually going to reach the stores themselves. So uh, one of the things you've been tracking is um, some other goods. Um, can you just kind of give us a sense of about the voyage of a lot of these specialty goods, obviously many of them start in Asia, and then where do they kind of go from there? I know we hear talk a lot about the Port of L.A. and the Port of Long Beach, but kind of give us a sense of that, that supply chain. Sure thing. I mean, we've been, heard, we've been hearing so much about the congestion in L.A. and Long Beach, but China's equally a mess. So you have over 100 vessels parked outside off the coast of the various ports in China. And so what we did was we actually tracked uh, the vessel called uh, this, the, the, C, the CGM, the CMA, a uh, vessel that uh, was carrying uh, 18 containers of animatronics for Spirit Halloween. And it really tells you the, the, the delays, if you will, going all the way up 
from the ports. For example, uh, the vessel, she departed on August 9th uh, uh, from Yantian, going all the way to Xiamen. And then from Xiamen, she uh, docked over there on August 16th. And then traveling again to another port where she was circling and waiting for anchorage over at Yangshan. And then finally, she departed on August 30th to make her voyage here to the United States. And she finally um, anchored over at the coast of Long Beach on September 13th, but finally anchored on September 21st. And it took several days. And like I said before, the containers finally got off on September 24th. Wow. Now, that just factors the container at the port. Mm -hmm. That doesn't factor in the rail dwell times as well as the truck uh, times that you, of course, you know, report on all the time. Yeah, a lot of delays across the board. All right, got to talk to you about the big thing with this whole supply chain mess. We're 57 days away from Christmas. Obviously, the Super Bowl for the supply chain, basically. You also spoke to the National Tree Company. Their product's obviously in demand. What are they telling you? They're they're actually telling consumers do not wait until Black Friday to buy any items because because they probably will not be there. And we're already seeing that now. This company sells items under their own brand and they also sell at retailers like Home Depot as well as Amazon. And we are seeing product already sold out Um, wreaths, blow up uh, blow up animation type of like blow up products on the, exactly stuff like to put on their exactly so it really is hurry up and you know buy your product and uh hopefully it's still on the store shelves yeah i think a lot of us are hoping that um we've really been reporting on the shortage of truckers how are companies trying to mitigate that shortage and also the higher rates they have to pay because of the shortage well with christmas uh, with the national uh, tree company They have increased all Christmas prices by 25 percent to offset the logistics, and they can. And the reason why is they anticipated such huge demand this year because of the vaccination. More families are going to be coming together. So they actually brought their product in early, six months early. They moved it from June all the way to January, and they are still not going to have enough inventory. And so they're also worried about, like you pointed out, FedEx, UPS, they're saying buy it now and you better start mailing it early because they do not believe there are enough drivers to move the product. Serious concern, especially for a lot of us that want our holiday gifts and want our loved ones to get our holiday gifts. Exactly. CNBC's Lorianne LaRocco. Great reporting there. We appreciate it. All right. Time now to turn our attention to this morning's other headlines. NBC's Frances Rivera. She's in New York with the very latest. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, Frank. We start this morning with a group of New York City teachers who have asked the U.S. Supreme Court to block the city's COVID vaccine mandate, which is set to take effect today. The lawyers told the court the state's order would violate the teacher's fundamental right to pursue an occupation, and teachers who fail to get the vaccine will never be able to return to work. Earlier this week, Mayor Bill de Blasio said 90% of teachers and 97% of principals are vaccinated. Starting today, mail will get slower and more expensive. The Postal Service is making changes that will lead to longer delivery times for some first-class mail. And package delivery prices are going up through the holidays, costing anywhere from 25 cents to $5 more per package. A battle in Cincinnati between two of the NFL's brightest young quarterbacks, the Jaguars, looking for their first win, got out to a 14-0 halftime lead. Thanks to Trevor Lawrence's first career rushing touchdown, but Joe Burrow dug the Bengals out of the deficit it, finding C.J. Ozuma for two second and half scores. The late game drive set up Evan McPherson for the game-winning field goal. The Bengals claw their way to 3-1, and one, winning 24-21. 
Englewood get up to no good on Super Bowl Sunday. This might just be the most stacked halftime show of all time. West Coast hip-hop legends Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar are set to perform. That's not all. They got Eminem and Mary J. Blige, too. Their Super Bowl and halftime show there will air live on NBC Sunday, February 13th. There is always, Frank, one big headliner, right, for the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, and then you have some other acts in between. Each one of those guys could, could take it all, right? But right. they're all consolidated together. What a show that's going to be. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm such a big fan of all of them. But i got to be honest, I think it's going to be hard for anybody to top the year Bruno Mars did it because it was just him, but he was amazing. Amazing. All right, France Rivera, New York. I we read the last part. Amazing, amazing. I couldn't hear you in the end, so I, did, I missed that first part. Oh. But, but I can Bru- read your lips in the amazing, amazing part. Fans of all of them but are going to be hard to top Bruno Mars, my opinion. I missed. All right audio problems my opinion go ahead and tweet me straight ahead lawmakers burning the midnight oil and failing well at least for now and passing president biden's infrastructure agenda we're live in dc with the very latest stay with us stocks kicking off a new month and quarter of trading in the red as the bullish streak for the s&p it comes to a bitter end Deadlocked in D.C. over the president's infrastructure agenda. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, however, vowing to put it to a vote today. And the Go Big or Go Home series finale. Because it's in the valuable cybersecurity space. We're overweight in technology. Uh, The name we're adding right now. Uh, happens to be one going through a, a transformational moment. I called through the portfolio just for you, Brian, just for our viewers, and I picked out um, four dividend stocks from the portfolio. To me, it's an interesting play in what has proven to be a weaker tape. All right, that was kind of a calm montage. We're going to kind of mix it up. We're bringing back all of our stock pictures from week two of our special series. They're going to duke it out over their top picks for the fourth quarter. It is Friday, October 1st, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back. I'm Frank Collin in for Big Papa Brian Sullivan, checking stock futures about 30 minutes past the hour, about 530 in the morning here in the New York City area. Right now, we're seeing all the major indices down just about a half a percent right now. Looks like the Dow at this point would open up about 170 points lower at the open. This after stocks ended their worst month of the year, just eking out the smallest quarterly advance since the post-pandemic recovery began Back in 2020, we're showing you the charts. You see the downward trend with the worst September since 2011 over historical trends suggest that October, well, it may not be that much better, especially as bond yields, they continue to head higher. The 10-year this morning, however, slipping just below that 1.5% level. You're seeing it right here at 1.489. Now to our top story this morning, a government shutdown avoided, well, at least for now, as Democrats continue to find common ground when it comes to the president's infrastructure agenda. NBC's Chris Pallone, he joins us from Washington with the very latest on this developing story. Good morning, Chris. Hey there, Frank. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi moved a vote on that key infrastructure bill from Monday to Thursday to make sure she had enough time to get all Democrats, Dem- Democrats on board. But they're not there yet. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi leaving the Capitol after midnight, after missing the Democrats' own deadline to pass a $1 trillion spending bill to improve the nation's infrastructure, insisting a vote is still imminent. How disappointed are you that there is no vote tonight, Madam Speaker? 
Progressive House Democrats are refusing to vote for the infrastructure bill until Democrats in the Senate reach agreement on President Biden's top legislative priority, an even bigger spending plan with money to expand Medicare, fight climate change, and improve access to child care. He should have focused just on infrastructure, but what they want to do is restructure and, re and transform America. Moderate Democrats Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin object to the $3.5 trillion price tag. Manchin's proposing a bill $2 trillion smaller, but all sides are expressing optimism. There's a lot of good in both of them. We should be able to, to come to that agreement. Earlier, the yeas are 254, the nays are 175. The motion is adopted. Both chambers agreed to keep the federal government open until December 3rd. That bill included money for disaster relief in several states and to help resettle Afghans newly arrived in the U.S. Next will come step two, the debt ceiling. But it did not increase the nation's debt limit. And Congress now has until October 18th to either increase or extend the debt limit. Fed Chair Janet Yellen said it would be catastrophic if they didn't. She even went as far as to say the debt limit should be abolished. Live in Washington, I'm Chris Pallone. Frank, back to you. Chris, always great to see you. Now to something, uh, well, something extra. Capping off week two of our Go Big or Go Home special, we've had four excellent stock pickers, all with unique names for you to consider heading into Q4. Gilman Hills, Jenny Harrington with dividend plays. Sabra, Magellan, and B&G. Fair leads Katie Stockton, likes the charts on ConAgra, Dish, and MasterCard. Grace Capital's Kate Faddis is all in on cybersecurity with names like Okta and Radnet. And yesterday, Treasury Partners' Rich Saperstein is going big on Megatech. Let's, so let's welcome in, them all back to discuss. Great four, great four box right now. We're still waiting for Kate Faddis to join us and bring them to you if you missed earlier this week. Jenny Harrington, Richard Saperstein, Katie Stockton here with us just for now. I'm going to start off with you guys. Uh, I'm going to, you know, gotta, not you guys, but Richard, I'm going to start off with you. Mega Cap Tech, that's your pick. Kind of explain it to us why you're sticking with that, even with bond yields creeping higher 20 basis points since the end of August. I think the rise in interest rates is going, are going, is going to have a primary impact on companies that have uh, either zero cash flow or multiples in at nosebleed levels. So, you know, the talk that rising rates will impact big cap tech is it, certainly at some point. But I like the free cash flow in these companies. And keep in mind that every dollar that goes into the S&P, 25 cents goes into big cap tech. Every dollar that goes into the queues, 40 cents goes into every one of these stocks. So in order for investors just to keep up with the indexes, it's very important to hold big cap tech. All right, I'm hearing some dissension in the ranks already, I believe. I don't know who that was, but uh, Jenny, I'm going to toss it over to you. Agree or disagree? Wasn't me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, fun, I fundamentally agree, which I think is really, really interesting, and it's a different setup than times that we're used to in the past. Historically, when interest rates go up, they hurt stocks like mine, right, which are dividend-oriented stocks, because when bond yields are higher, suddenly, the you know, historically, the bond proxy stocks, those that had high yields, they're not as competitive. But what's really funky now is yields are so, so, so low. And there are all these, exactly as Richard phrased it, I thought that was perfect. And I wrote it down, the zero cash flow, high multiple nosebleed companies. 
they're the ones that are really reliant on the low interest rates. So in a weird way, Richard's call on the, on the I can't even say it either, the FANG minus N plus M, right? The, they are high cash flow companies. My dividend companies are also very, very high free cash flow companies. That's why they pay out a dividend and they're low multiple. So I think in a, in a period of rising rates um, and that, you know, that creating some market dislocation, some instability, potentially in a weird way, we're both hiding out in the same safe space, just really different, different superficially, but fundamentally a similar call for both of us, which surprised me and was fun to hear. All right. So agreement in the ranks, not dissension. Uh, Katie, I'm going to go over to you. One of your picks I found to be very interesting was MasterCard. Can you kind of explain that? Obviously, payments are exploding, but people are paying in so many different ways now. You know, in this kind of tape, which has obviously lost some momentum here, we like to look for names that look very different from the S&P 500. And that does include MasterCard, which, of course, I corrected about 16 percent from its high before finally stabilizing and showing some improved short-term momentum. It came right up into its 50-day moving average. And we do have a short-term counter-trend buy signal there that really isn't shared by many stocks right now, despite their pullback. So we're interested in adding exposure to this type of setup because the market tends to penalize overbought stocks and reward oversold stocks, especially when you see this kind of corrective price action that's underway. Also, MasterCard still is technically in a long-term uptrend. When you look at the long-term trend following gauges, they still are pointing higher despite that corrective phase. We also like sort of straddling technology, consumer discretionary, and financials with MasterCard. Kate, I believe you're with us now. You figured out your technical difficulties. Uh, You're very bullish on tech, too, but do you agree with Katie's thesis here? On MasterCard? Yes. Yes, I I would tend to agree. I think the main problem with the MasterCard uh, are the pay pay later companies. Um, You know, one of them was bought recently by Square. And I think that's going to be MasterCard needs to be creative about finding new ways to get millennial and younger consumers. That's my only concern with MasterCard. And I think that's what has been holding the stock back. All right. MasterCard did enter the buy now, pay later space. Um, I don't believe that program's actually gotten started yet, but they did make a move to get in that space, in all fairness. Um, Kate, I'm going to go and kind of stay with you since we got you back. Um, one of your picks was Okta. Can you give us the elevator pitch on why people should be at least looking into buying shares of Okta? Yes. Okta is something that you need. The identity space is huge. It's, it's a very important area. It's a big part of cybersecurity. And it's simply essential. And that's really why you need Okta. Everywhere you go, identity is the way to go. All right. Katie, I'm going to toss it back to you. Agree or disagree? You know, the software names have been under pressure recently, or the cybersecurity names as well. And it's that high growth arena right now that we would stay away from, broadly speaking, just given the short-term breakdowns that we've seen in this space. It doesn't mean that Okta doesn't have long-term potential, but I think from a market timing perspective or a risk-reward perspective, that there will likely be a better entry for that stock and for really related stocks. I think when the market is consolidating, those are the types of stocks that, because they're somewhat higher beta, they tend to be under more pressure than the major indices. And you're better off sort of hiding in more defensive 
stocks within the, the broader market. So that would be the likes of Conagra, which we, of course, had as one of our picks. And Conagra, which is ticker CAG, that had come off of an oversold reading and cleared its 50-day moving average. It's not the best long-term setup, but from a short to intermediate term perspective, that's the kind of stock that we would like to hide in during a corrective phase in the broader market. All right, Jenny, Kate, Richard, Katie, we want you guys to all stay with us. We're going to talk much more about your picks coming up in just a second. But first, your big money movers, including Disney, selling a lawsuit filed by actor Scarlett Johansson over the streaming release of Black Widow. And as we had to break some of your other top stories, Neiman Marcus says online accounts of about 5 million customers, though they were breached. The leak included sensitive information such as credit card numbers. The cybersecurity incident happened in May 2020, but the retailer only recently learned of it. Whole Foods co-founder John Mackey will retire from his CEO post next year. The grocer's current chief operating officer will take over the job. And a Babe Ruth bad is featured is the featured item at a Christie's live auction of baseball memorabilia next week. Experts say it could fetch as much as $1 million. Stay tuned. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers, three stock stories of the morning. First up, Zoom and Five9. They are terminating Zoom's nearly $15 billion purchase of the maker of call center software after Five9 shareholders. They voted down that deal. It would have been Zoom's biggest acquisition. But proxy advisor firms ISS and Glass-Lewis recommended the shareholders vote against that deal, citing growth concerns. Stock two, Bed Bath & Beyond. Shares are ticking higher today after the retailer... It lost more than a fifth of its value yesterday. That was after it reported a sharp drop in second quarter sales, citing supply chain issues, inflation, and customers avoiding their stores due to COVID-19 concerns. Stock three, Disney, the company selling a lawsuit filed by actor Scarlett Johansson over the streaming release of Black Widow. She claimed her contract guaranteed the Marvel movie would open exclusively in theaters with her potential earnings tied to the box office performance. But it has with other films during the pandemic. Disney released Black Widow in theaters and on Disney Plus on the exact same day. Terms of the settlement were not disclosed, but the two sides say they still plan to work together. All right. On deck here in Worldwide Exchange, our all-star panel is coming back with a very spirited discussion on which stocks will make you the most money in the final three months of 2021. Plus, it is Hispanic Heritage Month. All month long, we'll be spotlighting business leaders and our CNBC contributors and colleagues. Here is CNBC Senior Marketing Manager, Catherine Jarellis. If you are a young Latino starting out in your career, you better bring your authentic self to work every day. You might laugh a little louder. You might sing a little louder as well from your desk. But let that music sing out of your heart in everything you do. And make sure you bring your authentic self every day. And that will guarantee that you are happy in your career. All right, welcome back. Big news from inside CNBC today. Our own Jim Cramer now delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Jim will be sending daily emails, writing for our website and appearing in videos online, all to give you his unique insights into the markets, and you'll have a front row seat to what stocks Jim is trading in his charitable trust. He'll tell you all about his winners and his losers, total transparency. You can sign up to find out more at cnbc.com backslash investing club, or you can just point your phone at the QR code right there on the bottom of your screen, and it'll take you right there. 
All right, let's get to, speaking of taking it there, as a matter of fact, let's get to more on week one of our special two-week series, Go Big or Go Home. Still with us, Jenny Harrington, Kate Faddis, Richard Saperstein, and Katie Stockton. Jenny, I'm going to toss things over to you this time. One of your picks that I thought was very interesting, Sabra. Can you kind of explain that one for us? Sure. So Sabra is a healthcare real estate investment trust, and they own skilled nursing homes and transitional facilities. So I thought this was a kind of cool pick because they've got a lot of wind at their back. First of all, it's got a really high yield, a little about 7% yield. And um, second of all, as we return to normal, as people go to nursing homes as they did normally, as they go to rehab facilities as they did normally, that's just positive for Sabra's business. They're collecting 99.8% of their expected rents. They have about, um, I think it's about 5% earnings growth, and it trades at a steep discount to the market multiple. So this to me, you know, it's not, I, I was joking around with Brian on Monday with the whole go big thing, right? This isn't a home run, but this is, my go big was on the big dividends. And I actually think, I think we're in for a tricky third quarter. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be huge stock market returns. So to me, I'm like, where do you think you can get the best return over the next three months and maybe even into next year? I think it's something like this, where you know that fat, juicy dividends coming to you and you get to hide a little bit because the, the valuation <clears throat> doesn't put you teetering on the precipice of a cliff. All right, Richard, is that you clearing your throat? I, don't, I can't see you guys all the time, but Richard, I'm going to toss it over to you. We see shares down about 4%, excuse me, 14%. Even with that fat, juicy dividend, do you agree or disagree with that take? Well, look, uh, our focus now is on the fact that, uh, you know, this is going to be the first millennial generation that's going to be truly adopting technology. And we're looking for companies that have growth elements and high free cash flow. So uh, I think in terms of uh, nursing homes and transitional care facilities, you have an aging of the population that's naturally occurring. So companies like that are only going to benefit going forward. Um, Richard, while we have you right here, let's talk about some of your picks, which was, and nobody knows how to say it, FAMG, basically FANG with Microsoft replacing Netflix. Um, which one of those do you feel the best about? Well, the, the name that we added most recently has been Cisco. And the rationale is just a, a re-rating as a result of the company moving from more of a hardware sales to a subscription services business. So in 2018, the uh, <clears throat> subscription services were roughly 32% of revenues, and it's moving up to 50% of revenues in 2025. So when you look at the multiple that is applied to a hardware sales company of 10 times versus a software subscription company at 20, 22 times, you know, there's a re-rating that occurs there. Uh, in addition, you know, you have a 2.5% dividend yield. Uh, the company has about an 8.5% uh, operating cash flow, actually a 6.5% operating cash flow, which is exceptionally high in today's marketplace. Uh, return to shareholders is running around 4% a year. So I like the re-rating of the company that will occur, plus the strong free cash flow, plus the return of that to shareholders in this ultimate zero interest rate environment. So, Rich, Richard, uh, strong argument there. Katie, I'm going to toss it over to you. One thing that you have to think about when it comes to Cisco is that CEO Chuck Robbins, he's already flagged that they're having supply chain issues and that, that they're going to have to raise prices. Do you agree with Richard's take? You know, the stock is already corrected, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Was that for Kate? No, it was for Katie. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, ahead. there you go. 
No, Katie. Was it for me or? Katie Stockton, just to clarify. (laughs) Oh, forgive me. Okay. So, yeah, you know, Cisco has already seen a corrective phase within its long-term uptrend. But as you know, there's a very strong top-down influence for Cisco and really any stock that looks like the major indices. So I think when you talk about uh, timing for Q4 positioning, that it may not be the best idea, just given the fact that it's lost some momentum and it's done so with other peers. Uh, The FANG stocks more broadly have seen their most significant loss of momentum in about a year. And that's something that sets them out of favor for now. The relative strength ratios that we track when you look at the FANG stocks versus the broader market, they've stalled, meaning that they've lost their sort of leadership stronghold for now. So we also just go back to those more defensive plays like Jenny, that Sabra Healthcare looks even more interesting to me than Cisco right now. And it's it's a little counterintuitive because I'm a technical analyst. But when you look at that REIT, it has a short-term counter-trend buy signal, much like MasterCard. And that suggests that the decline is overdone on the downside. And that comes at a time when you could get that more defensive rotation. You just have to reconcile that with what Treasury yields are doing. My thought on Treasury yields is that we've seen a short-term breakout there, but the pace of that up move should slow down. And as it slows down, you'll see that recent underperformance by the likes of the utilities and what have you start to kind of uh, dissipate. I hope you guys don't mind. I'm going to throw a wild card in here. A big pick last week that has everyone was, everyone was raving about. That was the Jets ETF. Names like Delta, United Southwest, all top holdings in that ETF. Huge reopening trade. Kate Faddis, what's your take? I'm going to disagree with, with that. You know, because of the pandemic, those companies have had to take on a significant amount of debt. Travel has not been coming back, and I don't think it will come back. So for those reasons, I think a lot of these, you have to decide, are you going to talk about a trade or are you going to talk about a buy and hold? So I'm more of a buy and hold investor. I'm not really a trader. Short-term price movements are random. You cannot predict what's going to happen in the short term. This is a finance theory 101. So they may be fine for a trade. There's a long-term buy and hold. Absolutely not. Jenny Harrington, agree or disagree? Um, actually, I totally agree. And one of the other things that I think is lost in that discussion is, um, sorry, is lost in how we need to talk about these so quickly, is the amount of debt that the airlines took on over the last year. So one of the fun things, I think, being on with Katie also is that Katie and I, seem to come to similar conclusions, but we look at things very differently. She's looking at it from a technical perspective. I'm looking at it from a, fun, from a fundamental perspective. So I'm curious about Katie's perspective on this one. But when I look at the airlines, I see things like Delta, who went from $9 billion of debt last year to $27 billion of debt. And so, so Kate, I think, is nailing it. Like, yeah, you might get a quick trade out of it, but I think that in the long term, the fundamental picture has significantly deteriorated here. Um, so you always need to match up that story, right? And I have a younger millennial brother who is always trying to get me to buy the airlines because he thinks they're so great and he loves flying Delta. It's a great story. But then once you look at the fundamentals and all of the, and all of the work behind it and all the numbers behind it, it's a lot less compelling. So you might get a blip trade, but longer term, these guys have a lot of digging out to do. All right, there we go. You know what? You guys went big and you're already probably at home. We appreciate you guys all being here. 
Thank you, Jenny, Kate, Richard, and Katie. We appreciate it as always. All right, one last look at futures before we go. Right now, futures continue to be in the red. The Dow looks like at this point it could open up about 200 points lower at the open. And that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.